Thank you so much for joining us for this press conference. I'm Maddie McDaniel, comms director for Invest in America. We're gonna take questions uh, from the press at the end. If you have a question, you can click the raise hand button at the bottom of your screen throughout the conference and I will start calling on you once the last speaker has finished. Um, we're gonna kick it off with a short introduction from Zach Pekanis, senior advisor to Invest in America. So please go ahead, Zach. Thank you so much, Maddie, and thank you so much to our distinguished speakers for joining us today. I'm going to talk very briefly before turning it over to them. Um, we're here today because there's no question that children, particularly children of color, have experienced immense hardship due to the pandemic. Thankfully, the historic public investments in the American Rescue Plan have already begun to deliver results for people everywhere. And some of the biggest winners will be our country's children. Provisions like the child tax credit, direct checks for struggling families, the food assistance programs, they're working together to lift millions of children out of poverty and to create long-term economic opportunities for the next generation. By alleviating child poverty, the Biden administration is evening the starting line for children everywhere. And when we invest in our children, we are investing in our nation's future success. And there's no better people to speak to this than our distinguished panel. Today, we are gonna hear from Senator Martin Heinrich from the great state of New Mexico. He's vice chairman of the Joint Economic uh, uh, Committee and has been a champion for children uh, in Congress. We're gonna hear from John King, former U.S. Secretary of Education under President Obama and the current President and CEO of the Education Trust. We're gonna hear from Emin Murabi, uh, Director of Poverty Policy at Children's Defense Fund. We're gonna hear from James Jimenez, Executive Director of New Mexico Voices for Children. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to our first speaker, Senator Heinrich. Senator. Thank you, Zach. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us today to discuss the the critical and really truly life-changing investments in children uh, that we recently passed in the American Rescue Plan. As a, as a dad, I know on a, a very personal level that when we invest in our kids, when we put in the time and the effort and the resources, we're making an investment in their future, but also in the future of the entire country. And that is what drives me in the Senate and why I'm so pleased to be part of this press conference today and so honored to be part of an amazing group uh, that's going to be speaking today. Advocates talk a lot about how adverse childhood experiences or ACEs can alter entire lifetimes. They're often pivot points in the trajectory of life. Uh, and even before the crisis, children in New Mexico experienced adverse experiences at a higher rate when compared to their peers in other states. Unfortunately, the compounding crisis over the past year placed an even greater strain on millions of kids, children, and their families across the country. Uh, kids lost family members to this virus. Families are experiencing extreme economic challenges. Lost jobs, lost wages have made it incredibly difficult just to put food on the table, keep a roof over their heads, keep the utilities paid. And all of our kids are struggling with the impacts of unprecedented school closures and lost time in the classroom with their friends. Uh, that's why it's so important for us to make real substantive investments in children and families through the American Rescue Plan. 
Now, this has included the expansion of the child tax credit that experts say uh, can cut the nation's childhood poverty rate this year in half. Uh, Soon, millions of families will receive $3,600 per child under six and $3,000 per child under uh, in the six to 17 age group, all in periodic payments that will go a long way in helping cover the expenses of raising these children. Some have called this expansion of the child tax credit uh, a sort of children's version of social security because of what it will do to lift children and their families out of poverty. We also passed the most significant investment in childcare in this country um, since World War II. That includes $24 billion of emergency stabilization funds uh, for childcare providers, $15 $15 billion in additional funding for the Child Care and Development Block Grant, which has been really critical. Um, these funds will help child care providers operate safely, increase the pay and benefits for their child care workers, and reduce the costs of child care for families. I hope this is just the start of, of a broader recognition in our country of how important, affordable, and high-quality child care and pre-K is for all of our families. Of course, uh, perhaps one of the most important things we can do to support our children is to safely welcome them back into their classrooms. And that's why the American Rescue Plan included $170 billion for K through 12 schools and higher education institutions. Um, This is gonna translate into a billion dollars for New Mexico's K through 12 public schools to address students' needs and help educators safely reopen for in-person instruction, which is about to begin. Uh, This works out to about $3,000 per student. And our local school districts are able to put that to use right away with things like sick leave, uh, technology, air filtration and HVAC upgrades that are decades overdue, and even things like outdoor classrooms. Finally, we also passed critical enhancements to the programs that support families and children most in need. Uh, That included expanding funding for nutrition assistance like SNAP and WIC, billions of dollars in rental and housing assistance, and programs to prevent homelessness, $350 million in emergency funding for child protective services and services that prevent child abuse. $150 $150 million in funding for maternal, infant, and early childhood home visits that we know from experience in New Mexico make an enormous difference, and extensions of enhanced unemployment insurance and voluntary paid leave uh, tax credits. I am incredibly honored to be joined today by John King Jr., the president and CEO of the Education Trust and the former Secretary of Education under President Obama. Uh, As you heard, we have Emma Marabi from the Children's Defense Fund, who's going to help give us an overview on the American Rescue Plan, how it's going to help children facing challenges across our nation, and uh, and my good friend from New Mexico, James Jimenez from Voices for Children. I, I should add here how proud I am of the way my state is stepping up to invest in kids right now at the state level, because Just last week, our legislator passed a historic constitutional amendment 
that New Mexico voters will vote on in next year's election to direct a portion of our land grant permanent fund to early childhood education. And I've long said that there's no greater investment that we can make in the success of our own state than to invest in the earliest years of our children's development. There's no doubt that this past year has compounded so many difficulties for children and for families. There are gonna be long lasting challenges, but I'm confident that all of these resources and investments that we just made in the American Rescue Plan are going to help us build a much stronger future for our kids and for our country. Thank you, Zach. Thank you so much, Senator, for your remarks and your leadership. And now I'm very excited to introduce John King, who is widely recognized as one of our nation's strongest secretaries of education, who has defined his career as being a lifelong champion for kids. Secretary King. Thanks so much, Zach. And thank you, Senator, for, for leading on, on this bill and leading on children's issues in Congress. I, you know, I think it's important that we emphasize that this bill was so essential, this American Rescue Plan was so essential because of the equity disaster that COVID has been for kids and families. Uh, we see it, as, as the Senator described, we see it in food insecurity. We see it in housing insecurity. Uh, we see it in the disparate health impact of COVID on communities of color. We see it in the disparate economic impact of COVID on communities of color where there's been a disproportionate share of job loss and income loss. All of that has an impact on kids, but of course we've also had an education equity disaster. One of the challenges, the Senator framed this, is that we had all these inequities before COVID and then COVID has exacerbated them. So we had a digital divide before COVID, uh, Pew study showed that 79% of white families had reliable internet access before COVID, 66% of black families, 61% of Latino families. So when we switch to online learning, which of course we had to do for public health reasons, that had a dire impact on our kids. And we're seeing the consequences. The estimates uh, most recently from McKinsey are that we will see four to nine months on average of lost learning for all, all kids, but six to 12 months of lost learning for students of color. Uh, we also are seeing record highs in chronic absenteeism. There's just a study out of the city of Boston showing that 40%, 40% of 11th and 12th graders are chronically absent. Uh, we, we're seeing it in kids' grades. And where I live in Montgomery County, Maryland, we saw a six-fold increase in the failure rate in freshman English. And so we need a response. And this bill does that. This bill includes nearly $130 billion for K-12. As the Senator described, that will help schools safely reopen, but it will also help schools invest in targeted intensive tutoring, which we have decades of evidence can be an effective way to help students catch up. There are resources that could be used for summer learning so that we can get kids back re-engaged in exciting, interesting summer enrichment opportunities, blending academics and arts, STEM robotics or athletics, so that they are excited to be reconnected with teachers and peers. Uh, there's funding that could be used here to address the socio-emotional and mental health impact that COVID has had, as well as the impact that being isolated from your peers and teachers has had on kids. Uh, there's also $40 billion here for higher ed, half of which goes directly to students. Uh, that will make a big difference. We are seeing 
a very dire impact from COVID on higher ed students, particularly low-income students. We've seen a very substantial drop in community college enrollment. Uh, the resources here will help respond to that. There's also an investment in closing that digital divide, over $7 billion that will help uh, ensure internet access for kids and families, crucial for them to be able to uh, take advantage of education. There's a billion dollars here for a national service, uh, which could help mobilize a uh, national tutoring corps of young recent college graduates who could spend time helping younger children to learn. Uh, that national tutoring corps, that national service idea is also an opportunity to give uh, young people an opportunity to serve their community, to build relationships with people who are different from them while doing service. Uh, there's dedicated funding here for homeless students, $800 million that will uh, help address uh, the significant needs of our students uh, who've lost homes or are moving between homes during this really difficult economic period. There are provisions in the bill, something that was a high priority for, for the Education Trust, that ensure a maintenance of equity, that actually say to states, you cannot cut your highest needs districts during this period. And that's hugely important because in past recessions, we saw this during the Obama administration, the last recession, the 2008-9 recession, actually high needs districts experienced disproportionate cuts and high needs schools often experienced disproportionate loss of teachers. So we're very pleased that there are those maintenance of equity provisions in this bill. Of course, the investments in SNAP, the investments in the child tax credit, all of that will help families better support their kids and that will translate into better academic outcomes. Two final points, the center talked about the investment in childcare. So this is hugely important. The sector is at risk of collapse and, and we have to remember the childcare sector is, um, has an overrepresentation of women of color, both as owners of childcare providers and as the childcare workforce. And so this investment is crucial for racial equity reasons. And then finally, I think it's important to, to say this is a, we hope, a shift in how the country values its children. And what I hope, and I know the Senator will work on this, I hope that we'll make that child tax credit change permanent. I hope that we will move towards investment in universal access to high quality childcare, zero to four. So hopefully this is not only a moment of responding to a crisis, but in, if you'll forgive the historical reference as a, a high school social studies teacher, uh, hopefully this is a New Deal moment where we say uh, that we truly have to build back better uh, from the crisis that we've experienced. So thanks again for the opportunity to be a part of this conversation. Thank you so much, Secretary King, again, for your leadership, advocacy, and, and your remarks. Uh, next, we have Emma Mirabi, uh, Director of Poverty Policy of the Children's Defense Fund. Emma, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Zach. And thank you to Invest in America for organizing this panel. And I really feel um, so esteemed to be with um, Secretary King and Senator Heinrich. It's, it's fantastic. And, and James from New Mexico as well. So thank you for being here. And, um, you know, the Children's Defense Fund has been working for almost 50 years in the fight um, for child well-being. Um, we've, we've been out there on the streets um, trying to end child poverty and fight racial injustice. And so 
we really envision a nation where marginalized children flourish, leaders prioritize their well-being, and communities wield their power to ensure that they thrive. And so we believe that fully implementing this child tax credit provision in the American Rescue Plan, which really is a down payment on a guaranteed income for children, are important steps to achieving our vision um, for this nation, for all of the children everywhere. And as we have long said, um, ending child poverty and boosting income security is a moral obligation that we must pursue now. Um, and it helps improve child well-being and it helps address um, racial injustice. And so we know, according to the most recent census numbers, that more than 10 million children are living in poverty. And that's one in seven. And yet again, we see that children are the poorest age group in America. And quite frankly, that's just unacceptable. And as the secretary has said, because of the economic economic crisis created by the COVID-19 pandemic, the number is just much worse today, right? And our pandemic has just deeply exposed how unjust and unequal our economy is. And quite frankly, it's no surprise that black and brown children are bearing the brunt of this crisis and continue to. And that's frankly because leaders, um, our government and our leaders have not prioritized child well-being. Um, they haven't fully invested in communities of color, and they really, quite frankly, haven't done right by our children. And I think this bill corrects a lot of those wrong undoings, but we need to make sure that it's implemented well and that we um, have permanency. And so according to um, the most recent census numbers, 71% of children uh, of color are living in poverty. That's one in five black children, one in four Latinx children, and one in five indigenous children. And that's in the wealthiest nation on this planet, that's just, again, unacceptable. We also know that poverty and kids living in poverty, there's just lifelong impacts, right? And I think people on this call have already described it, but it's directly linked to worse health outcomes, school readiness, and so much more. And so the instability and insecurity of black and brown children in our nation hurts our communities and it hurts our nation. And that's why expanding the child tax credit, again, as outlined in the American Rescue Plan, um, will dramatically help reduce child poverty, boost income security, and advance racial equity for so many of our children and their families. Um, and so I won't get into the details of, of all the great money that's going, but what we know is that it, it will put cash directly into the hands of, of children and their families to help them put food on the table, keep the lights on, keep children safely housed. And increasing that cash benefit, more importantly, and making it fully refundable, um, expands it to the 23 million children, mostly Black and Latino, who have been left behind because the rules were rigged against them and the policy was not designed in a way that was fully just and equal. And so this expansion is transformative. As many have already said, it, 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 if implemented well, it could cut child poverty by nearly half and it could cut child poverty for Black children by 52%. So this is not just about, and I, I wanna make sure that we're always centering this, it's not just about um, helping kids in poverty, it's also about investing in our children, right? Um, as a society, we have a responsibility to help the next generation of kids, to help them flourish, to help them thrive. That's an ideal thing that I think we should all um, you know, agree to. And countless studies have shown that broad and generous income supports help, like a, like a child allowance, help boost educational attainment, help physical and mental health of the kids, and help actually employment and wages in the long term. So if we just look at an EITC study, we've seen that kids who are children and families who receive EITC tend to score higher on tests, are more likely to graduate high school, enroll in college, and enter more in the, um, enter the workforce. And even more recently, if we look at a study that was done um, even this month um, 
guaranteed income in Stockton, we see that unconditional and unrestricted cash gives families the flexibility and the freedom needed to make choices that are best for themselves. And really that's what this is about. So I, I wanna you know, make sure that as we're thinking about this policy and we're making it permanent, that we center that this policy is about making sure that all children have a brighter future for today and a brighter future for tomorrow. So I thank you for inviting me and I look forward to questions. Thank you so much, Emma. Uh, and now, very pleased to introduce James Jimenez, Executive Director of New Mexico Voices for Children. James. Ooh, James, you're on mute. Thank you, Zach, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to be here this morning. Senator, it's great to see you again. Uh, Secretary King, nice to meet you, and Emma, nice to, nice to hear your, uh, your comments. You know, uh, New Mexico Voices for Children has been around for 34 years. I was thinking back, I haven't been here the entire 34 years, as the Senator knows, but I was thinking back on, on what have been some of the most consequential legislation, either at the federal level or state level, that has impacted well-being of children in New Mexico. And I'd have to say that this has to be right at the top. The American Rescue Plan, when combined with some of the recent changes that the Senator just talked about in the state of New Mexico, are going to have a huge impact on New Mexico's children. We know that uh, here in New Mexico, we are a majority people of color state. And in fact, 75% of our children are children of color. What that means is that this pandemic has inordinately harmed families of color. It's inordinately harmed children of color. And we know that too many of our children are already living in poverty. We know that uh, Emma talked about uh, one in seven children in, in America living in poverty. In New Mexico, unfortunately, it's about one in four children are living in poverty. So we have seen uh, a dramatic impact, a negative impact from this pandemic on the lives of children and families. And I'd have to say, it's not just one thing that has been described here that is gonna be consequential. It is in the aggregate, the, this is such a far reaching visionary approach to improving child well-being that as Emma and the secretary and the senator talked about, if we can make these things permanent, we will have likely done in our lifetime, the most important thing that we can do to invest in our children and families. When people are asked, what's, what is most precious to you? We always say, of course, our families, our children are our most precious to us. Our response at Voices for Children is, well, we can't prove that by the statistics because we don't invest in children in a way that would suggest that they are most precious to us. This, as Emma has pointed out, goes a long way towards reversing that. It's a new paradigm. And I really love what the Senator said. It's almost a, a social security uh, approach to child well-being. We know that the social security program was immensely consequential for lifting seniors out of poverty. In the very same way, the kinds of programs that are being funded through the American Recovery Plan are also gonna do the same thing for children and families. And let's just name what they are. It's the unemployment insurance, it's the housing, it's the food assistance. And as Emma was talking about, it's cash. The childcare assistance, the healthcare assistance, all of these things combined finally demonstrate, I think, that the U.S. Congress has, pro has prioritized children in the way that they think about allocating the budgetary dollars. Many of our good friends that are advocates talk about the budget being a moral document. And I think that I'd agree with that. And that's what this 
statement is uh, in terms of the American Recovery Plan. It is a moral statement about the importance of investing in our children. Real quickly, I'd just add that the Senator talked about the investments that we are seeing in from the American Recovery Plan, in addition to the opportunity for the voters to improve a use of part of the land-grant permanent fund for early childhood education programs. In addition to that, the center will be happy to know that we also passed a dramatic increase in the EITC, our state's EITC program called the Working Families Tax Credit, and another tax credit called the Low Income Comprehensive Tax Rebate. All of these things combined are so essential for New Mexico's recovery. This is vitally important. As Emma pointed out, one of the most important things that we can do to help lift families out of poverty is make sure that they have the cash to spend. So while housing assistance is great, childcare assistance is great and necessary, food stamps are necessary, there's many expenses that are not covered by public benefit programs that families need to decide how to allocate those dollars to best understand the needs that their families have. All of the tax credits for business in the world are not gonna make much difference if families don't have the money to spend. And that's what I feel like has been most important, particularly for New Mexico, is that we are putting cash back in the hands of families to decide how to spend that money. And they will spend it in communities, large and small. So I feel like it's these, these investments are gonna be essential for New Mexico's recovery. Senator, thank you so much for always being a leader for New Mexico's children and families. You've been an advocate for our approach to using the land-grant permanent fund for a very long time. We thank you for that. We look forward to working with you to helping us get that, that legislation passed. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and thank you, James, for uh, all the work that New Mexico Voices for Children has done. It's just been pushing that for so long. And to see such a productive legislative session. Uh, I have a vote that just expired, so I'm already late uh, that I need to run up to upstairs. I'm going to try, if I can, to get back down here for, for questions, but just wanted to say goodbye and thank you in case I, I uh, can't get back down before the end of the question round. Thank you so much, Senator. Thanks to all of you. Um, with that, Maddie, I think we're ready to go to Q&A and we'll... Sounds great. So um, just a reminder, if you have a question, please click raise hand. It should be at the bottom of your screen and I will um, call on you, starting with Cedar Atanasio uh, with the Associated Press. You should be able to talk and unmute yourself. So go ahead when you're ready. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming together and, uh, and offering us a chance to ask questions. I guess I'd, I'd ask this, um, you know, on a local level to Mr. Jimenez and on a national level to Secretary King, um, if you could talk a little bit about metrics, particularly around education. Um, here in New Mexico, you know, the, the PED is not tracking reopening um, by race. So there's really no evaluation of equity, um, even though children of color were disproportionately affected by the online learning pivot. And then, um, and then also for Mr. Jimenez, what's your, what would you see as a win? What do you think we could look to in a year in terms of metrics, whether it's ACEs or any of the metrics that um, Ms. Mehrabi mentioned that we could look to in a year and say, oh, this funding helped. 
Well, l- let me take the education question first. Uh, so I think you're absolutely right about that. And um, we have been um, a bit disappointed in that the, the PED has not been tracking sort of educational outcomes and harms done in quite the way that we would like to see happen. Having said that, though, I think our state legislature recognized uh, one of the most uh, important factors that Secretary King uh, talked about earlier, and that is the fact that uh, families disproportionately impact by the lack of, of broadband access. It's been hugely important for communities, not just rural communities, though, Even in the uh, Albuquerque metro area, there are places that are dead spots where uh, people cannot get access. Or we know that there are places where where the families just don't have the technology available to them. They don't have the laptops that that are necessary for the children to be able to effectively do their homework. So I feel like the um, uh, Governor Lahan Grisham and the secretary have uh, tried to uh, begin to address that, uh, and the legislature just created an office of broadband, essentially, uh, technology to make sure that we can start addressing this lack of access in a systemic way. With respect to the metrics, I'd say, unfortunately, the data is always a little late in catching up, right? And so it's going to be a little hard uh, a year from now to know the full impact of this because it's gonna take a while for families to understand that there are things like a look back provision in the, in the federal EITC changes that allow people to go back and claim previous EITC credits that they weren't able to claim. All of this I think makes it incumbent upon us in the advocacy sector, uh, in, in the nonprofit sector, as well as in the governmental sector to make sure that we're getting the word out in a really comprehensive way so that families understand how to, how to access the kinds of resources that are being provided uh, by both the federal government and state government. But more specifically to your question, I think one of the things that we can do and one of the things that New Mexico Voices for Children has been doing in the last couple of years is doing what we call qual- more qualitative data analysis, meaning that we are meeting with families and hearing from them directly. This is the harm that we are feeling today. This is what we need to get beyond that harm. And then we are actually engaged in a project with uh, several immigration partners to kind of find out what those barriers are, what they need and figure out how they are using the aid that they're currently receiving, if they are receiving the aid uh, to support their families. So Secretary King, anything you would add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I agree with with all those points, James. That the, the thing I would add is that as as we think about the the education recovery, the learning recovery that we need, you know, we'll have some early indicators. We'll want to know our students participating in quality summer experiences. We'll want to know at the start of next school year, our students returning. Uh, Bellwether did a report recently suggesting that nationally there are three million kids who are who are missing who are disconnected from school, either because they didn't have the broadband access or because they had to work to support their families. And so we'll wanna see early on next school year, are kids back in school and are they attending regularly? We'll wanna assess whether or not kids are building strong relationships, strong positive relationships with adults. Even just a survey of students to say, is there an adult at school that you feel connected to and that you trust to support you when you're struggling? Um, 
So those will be some early indicators. We know relationships are foundational to academic success. And then over the long run, we'll want to see uh, where we are in terms of reading skills, math skills. We'll want to see do, if there is a recovery and FAFSA completion, the free application for federal student aid. We've seen a drop there, which suggests that fewer students will be going on to post-secondary. We'll want to see a recovery there as well by the end of next school year. And I'll put in the chat a report we just did at Education Trust on the importance of summer tutoring and relationships to students' uh, academic recovery. Thank you both so much for those, those super detailed and helpful answers. Um, and thank you, thank you for the question. The next question is from Ryan Botel at the Albuquerque Journal. I'm gonna go ahead and allow you to speak and you can unmute yourself, go ahead. Hi everyone, thanks for uh, making yourself available to, to talk to more uh, to, about, to talk to us today. Um, I'm not sure who the best person to answer this is, so I'll just ask the panel. Um, can you talk more about the mechanics of the child tax credit? Um, when will families start to receive checks or will it be direct deposits? How will, will they uh, receive that those funds? And um, is this or is the the tax credits for child dependents from what tax year? Um, like like what tax return is it based off and that sort of thing? Um, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to answer that. I'll, I'll chime in. Um, this is something that the Children's Defense Fund is uniquely involved in and focused on um, uh, from an implementation perspective. So the American Rescue Plan. I'll answer your last question first. The American Rescue Plan, if you are already connected to the tax code, you could get an advance of your 2021 tax, re tax return because the IRS will use either 2020 or 2019 tax return. It sounds very confusing because it is. <laughs> so what the law says is that the IRS would create periodic payments as feasible, possibly starting in July. Unfortunately, the IRS commissioner last week was in front of a Ways and Means subcommittee panel saying that it is going to be very hard for them to reach that deadline. A periodic can mean anything. Um, we've been pushing for monthly and then giving families the option. So the default would be monthly. Families would then be able to go into a portal and then choose like, actually, I would rather have it at tax time. I'd rather have it in a lump sum or I'd rather have it like quarterly or biweekly. The legislation doesn't say any of that. That's something that we've been asking for. Um, and your first question, like, what are the mechanics? How are people going to get it? So for people who are already connected to the tax code, and we've seen this through the economic impact payments, right, there's in three, it is very easy to get it. it the, the IRS is going to automatically deliver it. It's going to be fairly easy. For everybody else who are typically lower income, tend to be Black or Latino or Indigenous, and don't are not connected to the tax code and don't file taxes because they don't have to, because they haven't earned any income, it's going to be really difficult to get them connected. And part of that is because the IRS is not equipped to sign the, them up. They have to partner with their community organizations. They have to make sure there's enough volunteers at VITA sites. We have to make sure legal services who tend to actually get a lot of TANF recipients who are gonna be the people who are again, least connected to the system, but ne most need to get the benefit. And so there's the implementation of this is really gonna be key. And we're not gonna realize any of those parts, poverty or racial disparities, um, you know, projections, unless it's implemented well, unless people know about this benefit, and unless there's a very aggressive public awareness campaign for it. I hope that answered your question. Thank you so much, Emma. Um, 
We'll give it uh, another few seconds for folks to register any more questions. Again, you can just go ahead and raise your hand um, if you have a question. Maddie, I'd just like to add one more thing to what, uh, what Emma said, and that is that I think that there are some both governmental and uh, nonprofit entities within the state of New Mexico that are well positioned to help get the word out in the way that Emma has indicated is gonna be required. Um, in the state agencies, you know, the, the Department of Health manages uh, public health offices all across the state of New Mexico. So I think that that is an ideal place for us to be getting the word out to uh, families about the opportunities to take advantage of the child tax credit or the uh, earned income tax credit first. The uh, second would be uh, the New Mexico Department of Indian Affairs, uh, the terrific secretary, Lynn Trujillo, who has uh, deep, good and deep relationships with all of the tribal presidents and, and governors. I think that that would be another great avenue for it. And then there are many uh, immigrant and uh, low and moderate income serving organizations around the state, I think that need to be brought in in, in exactly the way that Emma talked about to ensure that uh, we are getting the word out so that we can achieve the metrics that are have been talked about and, and estimated for improvements. Thank you so much. Um, we have another question from Bruce Weatherby from the New Mexico Political Report. Go ahead, Bruce. Um, if you can unmute yourself. Okay, actually it's, I'm with the candle. Uh, Political reports and other reporter, but uh, oh, I and I don't know. If that's quite all right. Um, I'm not as concerned as they might be. Um, uh, the I, the question I have is probably more directed to the senator, uh, and if someone can get back to me, that would be fine. But uh, during the legislative session, uh, there was a lot of discussion regarding how the 1.6 billion dollars in uh, the American uh, Rescue Act plan money was uh, going to be used as far as state agencies went. Um, I, I realize there's more than that that schools and, and other and other local governments are getting. But um, and a lot of money was set aside for business, and a lot of money. There's just, there's a discussion about 600 million being set aside for the unemployment compensation uh, funds uh, reimbursement for the loan uh, that they expect to have, which currently is nowhere near that amount. But the question I ask, so there, there are four, over 4,000 public employees that are covered by the state budget um, that make under uh, what's considered a living wage. And I know the discussion about a living wage can be, is higher than $15 actually, but using that $15 figure, there's at least 4,000 uh, school employees, uh, state employees, university employees um, that are uh, just now brought, many of them just brought up to the $10.51, I think it is, minimum wage in New Mexico. Is there any reason that the, the CARES, the, not the CARES money, but the money that's coming into the state now, some of that could not be set aside uh, for those folks to be brought up to a living wage? So at least public employees uh, that the state uh, is responsible for through the budget uh, could finally be paid at levels that were not considered poverty wages. Um, this is significant. While I, I do realize a lot of things happen in the legislature, including the $600 rebate for people under $15 an hour, but frankly, that 
represents only uh, bringing somebody out of a poverty wage who is making $14.70 an hour. There are still thousands of folks who, whose families depend on that income. And really trying to find, because we, and by the way, the calculated amount is only $25 million to, a, a year to bring those people up out of a poverty wage. And yet it was discarded uh, in an amendment uh, brought by Senator Cidia Lopez. It was set aside by the legislature as um, not them not being able to deal with it. So the question is, is there is there any prohibition of the use of that money for that? That's an excellent question. I'm not sure um, if, if any of our panelists other than the, oh, we have the Senator, we have the Senator back now. Um, I, I think I caught a little bit of that. Um, there is quite a bit of um, flexibility to the states. We've given them some buckets where you absolutely have to spend it on things like unemployment insurance, um, but there's also revenue replacement. So uh, we've made it simply clear to them that there's going to be a lot of scrutiny, a lot of transparency, and make sure you can uh, justify your decisions. But I don't think there's any prohibition on, uh, on using uh, the funds that way. Thank you very much, Senator, and good luck in this session uh, ahead. Thank you, Bruce. Um, thank you, Senator. It looks like we've got another question from Cedar Atanasio at the Associated Press. Um, I think it's a separate question. Let us let us know if that's right. Yes, I did have a, a separate question. And, and thank you, Senator, for coming back. I, I understand you're juggling a few things. I wanted to teleport you to 2024. Um, this money has dried up. The, the, the staff education contracts that had funded are now over. What's your vision of what the economy looks like in 2024? I, I think we have an opportunity to really grow back robustly from where we are right now, uh, but we have to make investments now, or this could be one of those recessions that really stretches on for a decade instead of for um, a short period of time. Uh, we've learned the hard way over the years that if you don't make these kinds of investments in people, in families, and in small businesses, that the impacts of an extreme event like COVID or a financial crisis like we went through in 2008 linger in the economy for a really long time. And I think I think we made the right decision this time to um to, to not sort of take an austerity mindset so that we can get the economy going the way it should be and have the kind of uh, financial capital available to invest in small businesses, to have the economic activity to be able to get people back uh, in, in uh, service and retail jobs, as well as all the other professional services. And then from a New Mexico point of view, I'm always looking for ways that we diversify our economy as we come out of this as well. And Cedar, one of the things that I would add, I agree with everything the senator just said, and one of the one of the important things that the senator has long been a champion for, and we had voices that for children have championed, is the importance of the basic infrastructure spending to make sure that our, our private economy can be successful, and that includes things like broadband. And our New Mexico legislature has, uh, and the governor have agreed to allocate significant funds of uh, significant funds towards that basic infrastructure work, which is absolutely necessary for the private economy to be 
economy to be successful. So as we looked at 2024, what I would hope to see is that we are seeing those investments not in people and in infrastructure beginning to bear fruit and creating the kind of diversified economy that the senator just talked about. James, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, I, I know it was mentioned earlier that there was $7 billion to help schools with connectivity. Uh, there's also another $10 billion in the American Recovery Plan uh, to improve broadband widely. Uh, there were additional funds at the end of last year in our end-of-year budget or appropriations bill, and we're going to return to broadband with uh, build back better and infrastructure. And all of that is to say that there's, from, from an infrastructure point of view, um, one of the things that has been truly limiting to rural communities, to tribal communities, has been this disparate lack of access to broadband and to the internet. It, it's stripped bare with the education situation right now. Um, but in addition to that, it's a huge governor, a limiter on, on economic development. And so by solving these access challenges for our kids, we also open up enormous opportunities in telehealth and other economic activity in rural communities and tribal communities all across the state of New Mexico and the country. And that has the ability to pay economic dividends for our country for decades. Thank you so much. We've got um, one more question from, from Ryan at Albuquerque Journal. Ryan, just let us know if this is a separate question. I think that it is. Yes, thank you. It's a separate question. Uh, Senator, thanks um, for coming back. I, I was asking about the child tax credit, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on why you are hopeful the credit will become permanent and what you plan to do to make it so. Well, there are a group of us who are, are now working together, focused on trying to make it permanent. Um, we're actually working on some, uh, uh, we're trying to gather signatures right now on a letter to the White House to really push this forward. Um, and I think it's, it's one of those uh, issues that all of the data um, before we got in the midst of this pandemic was pretty clear how valuable and effective it is. And because things have been so challenging in the midst of COVID, it, it's actually sort of shined a light on the importance of this policy and how investing in this policy really changes the trajectory of, of lives. And it changes what is possible economically and within the tax base long-term by making these investments at the front end in our kids and in their well-being. And then they produce a much more economically productive, much more humanly productive life over the next coming decades. And that's an opportunity for, uh, for all of us that, that benefits the entire country, no matter where you live. I could just say something as well. Um, and I think Ryan, you asked this question about like the intricacies of like how kids, people and kids are gonna get this, um, you know, uh, cash benefit, um, cause that's what I like to call it. Um, as we think of permanency, we also need to make sure that we are going in lockstep with making improvements because 
there are lots of kids who are actually left out, even though this is a great expansion. Um, and as we're championing this expansion, we also need to make sure that we expand it to kids with ITINs, um, you know, immigrant kids who are not included in this policy at all. That estimates more than 1 million kids are just like not getting it. There's also hundreds of thousands of children um, who don't fit the definition of qualifying child. And so we also need to just make sure that the money follows the child. Um, it, it really just doesn't right now. In addition to that, we also need to make sure that we're holding families harmless for overpayments and that, you know, we aren't having um, banks and debt collectors, you know, steal this money for garnishment. Um, you know, we're holding it harmless for asset limits um, and that we're making it really easy, flexible um, and for families to access. Uh, and so as we think of, again, permanency, we also need to make sure we're expanding and making it broad and generous and inclusive as possible. Thank you, Emma. Um, so our speakers, if there's anything else that you want to add um, be before we sign off, please feel free to go ahead and, and make, make those points. I just want to want to say um, I, I have been so lucky to be involved in a lot of things that um, that have some level of permanence and, and importance. And I just I don't. I can't think of anything in my career that will have the impact on children that this bill will have, and um, and I, I think it's going to be incumbent upon all of us to follow through and and follow the lives of of these kids and um, and hold up the success stories that this creates uh, to build for additional um, you know for for additional permanence and and doing more, but. This is this should not be a flash in the pan. This is a really structural investment in our kids and their families, and I hope we can just come back to this again and again as we see the these policies bear fruit. Thank you so much, Senator, for joining us to, uh, today and for your advocacy. I, I know you have to get back to the floor, so I, I I know you have to drop off, and I really appreciate you giving us uh, the time and for your advocacy. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to the rest of our speakers, Secretary King, um, Emma May Robbie, James Jimenez, you have been um, so helpful uh, and, and we really appreciate you taking the time um, to talk through this with us, to explain it. And, and thank you to all um, the media who are on the call. We really appreciate your attention to this issue as well. And with that, we will wrap this up um, and, and everyone have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.